0: You're listening to Wednesday Wonders on the Mutual Audio Network. Be amazed. The following audio drama is rated R and is recommended restricted for anyone under the age of 17. I remember what we were, what we had built, what through our own hubris we discarded. I have tried and tried to forget so many times, but I cannot. This is the price you pay for being the last. You are the one who must keep the record alive, whether you wish to or not. You are the one who must relate the tale again, who must summon the ghosts, even if for one final time, to allow the sunlight to shine down upon these shameful things once again. I feel as if it would break my heart utterly, if I were to completely forget you all. And yet, that is a price I would gladly pay a thousand times over if you would leave me forever. But since you are so inconsiderate to do so, let me call you forth once again. And let me bring your shameful faces to light. I remember what we were what we built, what through our hubris we discarded. Let me tell you my story. Technical Difficulties presents The Account, A Tale of the Waking World, The Lightning for Hire, Part 18. In the years of the primal course, in the dawn of terrestrial birth, man mastered the mammoth and horse and man was the lord of the earth. He made him an hollow skin from the heart of an holy tree. He compassed the earth therein, and man was the lord of the sea. He controlled the vigor of steam. He harnessed the lightning for hire. He drove the celestial team, and man was the lord of the fire. Deep mouths from the thrones deep-seated. The choirs of the aeons declare. The last of the demons defeated. For man is the lord of the air. Arise, O man, in thy strength. The kingdom is thine to inherit. Till the high gods witness at length that man is the lord of his spirit. The Pentagram by Alistair Crowley. That poem doesn't bear directly to my story, but try to keep it in mind. Its significance will become clear later on. As for me, well, I would like each and every one of you gathered here today to feast your eyes upon me, for you will not see my like again. I stand before you, unique, radiant, and alone. I am a sodomite. Not some ridiculous epithet hurled at homosexuals by small-minded bigots who justify their own moronic hatreds through what they think God should believe on their behalf. No. I am the genuine article. I stand before you, the last of the royal dynasty, of the sorcerer kings of the Empire of Sodom. Once... So long ago, we were the inheritors of the mantle of civilization. Before Babylon, before Sumeria, we were. Through our sorcery, we bent the land and the sea, and nature itself to our will. We were unparalleled, unchallenged. The great civilizations of Earth that the history books record were nothing but tarnished baubles compared to us. We were the renaissance of the human race not seen since earth had fallen thousands of years before our rise. The garden of earth had been swept aside into ruin and despair, and we stood above the debris and held aloft the torch of a new world for all to see, a beacon of dreams once more abundant now, shining as a light of hope that the human race would rebuild, reclaim what was denied us, to reign in glory once more. <laughs> <laughs> and therein lies the first of our lies. I say, we, but that is a complete fallacy. Our kingdom, and the sorcerous knowledge that we used to rule over it, was built upon the bedrock of theft and subterfuge. It began its life as an outpost, a safe haven created by the non-human ancestors of those trapped by the terror cataclysm. And their human supporters, of course. Their plan was to build a city with which they could rebuild civilization in the image of the Midlands. For a thousand years they toiled with the knowledge they retained. To build a city that they hoped would keep them safe from the marauding tribes of violent earthlings. It was they who rekindled the flames of civilization. They who built a world where knowledge was worth preserving... They ruled there in peace and in justice. Until my forefathers betrayed them all and stole it for themselves. And you know how we rewarded our non-human progenitors and their supporters? With slavery, torture, murder. Until the survivors fled back into the wilderness, secure in the knowledge that it does not pay to trust an earthling. And with that stolen knowledge, Sodom achieved mastery of the known world. We strode the earth as gods, and not kind gods. Ours was a reign of terror and despair, and every tribe and every nation lived in dread fear that we would turn our terrible gaze upon them. We were but ashes and legends by the time the ancient Israelites decided that they would include us in their narrative, but they had no choice. They could hardly forget us. We were ingrained in their very souls. Through them we are remembered at best as uncouth pagans, and at worst as degenerate demon worshippers. And wherein lies the truth on that line? Oh, at both ends and all points in between, for we were all those things and so much more. Their story spoke of a god of miracles, who parted Red Seas and rained plague and death upon his enemies. But their god would have fled in a blind panic before our presence. Such was our sorceress' might that we were unparalleled. They say that power corrupts, but we were born in power and corruption. And where to go from there? We were an empire unchallenged, and thus we became an empire of hedonism— Pain and pleasure, joy and despair, life and death, they became our amusements. To an extreme, I'm not even sure your minds could comprehend. Greece and Rome, at the apotheosis of their decadence, were frankly like a Mormon ice cream social compared to us. (laughs) But as you can imagine, directionless unrestrained pleasure has a tendency to breed tedium, which in turn has a tendency to devour itself. The amusements began to turn within... Subterfuge, arguments, plots, rapes, assassination, murder, incest, you know, the usual courtly shenanigans. All in good fun, you understand. But over time, fun becomes personal. And soon there was a rift in our family, one that could not be healed. Half of my relatives split away and conquered the lands to the east, whereupon they founded their own nation that they called Gomorrah. And thus, the greatest empire that Earth had seen in thousands of years entered into an era of bloody civil war that would last for generations. This was the world I was born into. A powerful family of divided sorcerers, locked in a battle with no hope of ending until both sides exhausted all of their resources and their empires lay in ruins. Both sides locked in the eternal struggle to destroy one another. Both sides looking for a chink in the armor for an advantage that they could use. Both sides failing. This dance would go on forever. That was the projected outlook, anyway. Until the night that prophecy failed. Until the night that the angels came. I remember it. Just as a small boy. Them arriving, clad in light, the colours of which I could not describe, in shapes that the eye could not follow. If not for my training in the sorceress arts since birth, beholding them would have been glorious, joyful madness. They told us that just as we had studied the stars, they, from their places on high, had studied us in turn... And they had come with the secrets of the universe. They were to be our mentors, our guides. We would rise above humanity to be their equal and reign supreme among the skies. But their reason for this was not completely altruistic. They also came to us with a warning. It seems that our ancient blood enemies, the Gamorans, had also viewed the skies. And through the practice of darker arts than we knew, they had found a way to ensnare the Celestials, to bring the angels down to earth, down to their level, where they were captured, tortured, where their secrets were stolen. And even now, the black-hearted Gamorans were planning to take that knowledge and turn it against Sodom. They wished to liberate their enslaved brethren. But why did they need us with such power? It is because, as well you know, angels do not move through physical space the way we do. They move through conceptual space, ideas, contracts, legally binding documents. It is only through these arenas that angels can operate at full capacity. And so they came to us with a proposal. A blood pact with our family. We would allow them to exist within our very bloodline, within our very cells, our genetic structure, our DNA. And they would work through us. We would learn their secrets and we would gain their power. And then, when Gamora unleashed their unholy attacks upon us, we would simply reach out with our angelic strength and take that which was stolen back, leaving Gamora helpless, and destroy them utterly. And then, We would be unchallenged once again. We would rise to reign supreme upon the earth. We would force the road open again and enter the Midlands where we would conquer all of the other races, all of the other worlds, and then we would spread out and be supreme among the stars. Who could resist? Power. Knowledge. The promise that not only the physical realm, but all the spaces contained within a universe unfolding infinitely in all directions. Conceptual, physical, magical space. Oh, Sodom could not resist. And so, with great ceremony and fanfare, the pact was made. And all of my family, myself included, became one with the Celestials. I remember it so clearly. It was like being born. Suddenly seeing the universe alive and new for the first time ever. Coming from a place that was so jejune, so tiresome, so tepid as the one I was born into. This, this was life. This was reality. And behind the walls and doors and the secret areas of our palace war was prepared for. The final war. The last. The cleansing of our enemies. But there were not those without suspicion. My father, who in full disclosure was perhaps one of the most evil, cruel, and corrupt men I have ever known, had his misgivings. This all seemed too convenient, too easy... We were being delivered the secrets of the universe, and all we had to do was accept their terms, and we did, because, indeed, we were power and corruption. He had his own network of spies within Gomorrah, and using them, he captured one of the royal family and persuaded them to provide him with the information that he needed, and thus he discovered the truth. True, the Gomorans had discovered a way to ensnare the angels, to bring them down to earth, to put them in the service of the Gomoran flag, to tease out their secrets. But the Celestials working for them were willing servants. They were locked in combat with a corrupt group of angels. Ones who had fallen, ones who had rebelled, ones who even now were revealing the darkest, most terrible secrets to the royal family of Sodom. Ones that would allow the Sodomites to graft their bloodline to celestial power. Power that they would unleash upon Gomorrah at any moment. And these benighted celestials wanted only to spare Gomorrah this horrid fate. And perhaps, who knows, maybe they would share their secrets with the Gamoran royal family and they would rise up, glorious to rule the earth, and perhaps return to the Midlands when none could stand against their power, and then, who knows, perhaps the stars themselves would be their throne. We were deceived, all of us. I remember one night my father gathered the entire family together and sent us away from Sodom. He told us to head to the mountains to go someplace safe, while he would try to gather as many good people as he could... "'to stand against the angels and their deception. "'And so, without another word, my mother and my brothers and sisters, "'a few of our cousins and other relatives and an assortment of servants, "'set out to escape the city. "'We had just reached halfway up those mountains when war began "'and ended within moments. "'It was terrible and so beautiful.' No one could tell who fired the first shot, as it were. I just remember the light, reaching down from the sky like hands from heaven, and all was laid to waste. We felt the screams of millions reverberating through our souls, as all that did not live was reduced to ash, and all that lived was broken down into its constituent parts, crystallized, turned into piles of salt, all within the span of a few heartbeats. And then the angels departed, taking with them whatever they had stolen from the corpse of our empire, leaving us alone in a world where we were despised and feared. We had no protection, save the sorceries that we kept within our own minds, We dared not use the angels' power for fear that it would bring them to us. We were hated and hunted by tribes and nations and non-humans alike for our cruelty and our evil and our betrayal. The last of the great royal family of Sodom. Defenseless, isolated, alone. It was decided by my mother that the only course of action was to bide our time. To survive, we would wait long enough... We would stay together, we would stay strong, and eventually Sodom would rise again. We would take our true place as the masters of the world. We just needed some place safe, some place to hide. Through sorcery, we could prolong our lives indefinitely, and we could also change our appearance. It would be simple enough. We would conceal ourselves among the rabble of humanity, and in the meantime, we would seek out places of power and infiltrate them. We could always lend our aid, sorceress or otherwise, to them. There were always those who sought an advantage on the Earth, and we would take advantage of them. A simple enough plan had it only been so easy. Sodom and Gomorrah were not soon forgotten, and there was always the rumor that that black evil could have survived in one form or another. And so we were hunted. In spite of our best efforts and our strongest precautions, we were discovered. And one by one, we fell. One by one, I watched the only people in the world that I had ever loved, as much as I was capable of such a thing as love, die at the hands of others. Until only I remained. Alone. You have never felt loneliness as I have felt it. For a time, I even entertained the idea of allowing my pursuers to capture me, to end my loneliness and my despair. But I had sworn an oath to the most important person in my life, me, that I would not let the memory of my family die. And so I did the one thing that I could do. I forgot. I changed my appearance to that of a small child, I sealed my memories away, and I wandered into a town where I was adopted by a family who took pity on a small, starving amnesiac boy. And there I lived my life, in a state of near oblivion. The true me sat at the back of my mind in the darker chambers, sleeping, dozing fitfully, relaying just enough information for survival purposes— If the situation got too dangerous or desperate, I could take control and get myself out of it. And there, I would continue on, indefinitely if need be. I lived a thousand different lives that way. Some of them fraught with adventure and peril, but most mundane by design. And all of them completely doomed. For no matter how tightly you seal away these memories... Time and experience and trauma causes wear and tear on the chambers, and eventually they sluice through, and you remember. You remember it all. I don't know if anyone here has ever had the experience of living your entire life as a blacksmith or a farmer or a simple peasant, delighting at births, celebrating at weddings, crying at funerals, being surrounded by simplicity And the ones you love. And then one day remembering all of the black-hearted, evil, perverse sins that you had committed in your life. Remembering all the lives you lived before and how they were ruined. But if you haven't, I can't recommend it. It's not the most enjoyable of experiences. And it's one I've had so many times. But in spite of all that suffering and loss, there was something to be gained. Because I learned something I had missed out on in my first incarnation. I had learned what love meant. For I was loved as a child. I loved my parents in their various forms. I had lovers of my own in youths. I had wives, even husbands, depending on what form I took. And children, adopted children, none of my own was far too dangerous to allow the bloodline to continue. Not until I could cause Sodom to rise again. That was the master plan initially. But over those hundreds, thousands of lives, I learned my own truth. I did not want my empire to rise again. It was filled with too much darkness, filled with too much evil. This was simple and straightforward. I knew each of these lives would end in despair, but I could persevere and continue for as long as whatever my life would be took. I was content with that. As ashamed as my youngest self would have been to hear those words coming from me, these simple lives filled me with joy, and I was content to live that way forever. Or, I would have been had Gomorrah kept her secrets, but she did not only my family survived the conflagration of Sodom and Gomorrah at the hands of the angels, but Gomorrah had taken precautions we had not deep beneath their city in vaults they had stored all of their some knowledge of sorcery, much of it destroyed, but enough of it survived. And as is always the case in history, especially concerning the history of the planet Earth, those who sought power eventually found it. There's an irony for you. I had once dreamed of raising up and restoring a corrupt and evil empire, and had cast that dream aside for a life of simplicity, mere existence. And here it was, to rise again, only now, using the knowledge of my sworn enemies... My own family. These people, these neophyte upstarts, did exactly what my family, the Sodomites, had planned to do ever since the Conflagration. They translated what Gamoran texts they could, utilized that power, and then they infiltrated positions of authority throughout history. Behind the scenes, they inspired occult revolutions. For a millennia they did this, all across Europe, Asia, and eventually the New World. Most of these occult booms produced nothing but charlatans, but every once in a great while, a talent would emerge, and that talent would be drafted, brought into this secret society, and used to help further their knowledge base by translating even more of the Gamoran texts. They've had thousands and thousands of members over the centuries, many shifts in power, many revolutions and revolts from within, and many different names. Initially, they were New Gomorrah. Then the enlightened order of Nugomoral, and many other tedious variations on that name, eventually settling upon the illumined foundation of the starlit dawn, and then simply the foundation. All with the usual tedious agenda of secret societies such as this. Manipulation of money, manipulation of power, working behind the scenes, causing wars, murder, mayhem, assassinations, perverse magic rituals. A complete and utter subjugation of mankind, in other words. Blah, 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 been there, done that. I suppose you're all asking yourself, why didn't I try to stop them? Well, two reasons. One, I didn't find out about this until at least 500 years after they had formed. I was busy living lives of perpetual forgetting, ignorance being bliss and all. And secondly, I frankly couldn't have been bothered even if I did, know. I've seen so much ugliness in the history of civilization here on the benighted planet Earth... That frankly, if another secret society wanted to rise up and take command of this giant mess, I say they were welcome to it. Besides, these movements have a habit of tearing themselves to pieces. In spite of everything, I'm still quite cynical and filled with bitterness and anger about a few things, so I thought it would be amusing to sit back and watch the bloody chunks fall to the ground. Either way, whether they did or didn't, I didn't care. Wish I could have said the same about them. Turns out... They had a very great interest in me. Because you see, in spite of everything, at my core, I'm still basically only human. And throughout my history, I've had my moments of confessional weakness just like this one. You lot here, you're not the first ones to ever hear my story. And in those dark days, it never occurred to me that it would be a good idea to keep that story a secret. That the ones I told the tale to might retell the tale themselves. That I might enter the rumour mills of the backwaters of literature and occult lore. That somewhere in this world, in forgotten tomes, it would relay the tale of how the last child of Sodom still walks the earth with all his secrets intact. As you might imagine, a prize like that is not so easily passed up on by a group like the Foundation. And so, I found myself hunted once again. Not that I minded in all honesty. You must understand, after years of living in relative quiet and peace, I had grown soft, I feared. This was a chance to test my skills once again, because one does not live as long as I do without becoming very facile in the art of survival. In fact, without tooting my own horn, I would say that in the following years I must have set the Foundation's agenda back a century or two, for they sent their best and their brightest to retrieve me— and I left in my wake a trail of most talented corpses. However, I discovered much to my chagrin that the Foundation were indeed swift studies. I very quickly exhausted my usual routine of survival tricks and had to learn a batch of new ones, and even that was not enough to stay them for long. Each year their net grew wider and tighter, and I realized that I was living on borrowed time. But then... Just then, a wondrous thing happened. The road connecting the Midlands to the earth returned. I could feel it. Like dawn breaking on the first day of spring following an horrific winter. I could feel the energy flowing back in. And I determined that I would follow it to its source. And before either side had even realized that the path was clear, I had slipped through and found myself in the city of Belltower, your adopted home town, if I'm not mistaken, Sir Phillips. And there I altered my appearance once again, but this time liberated from the need of forgetting, and set out on a grand adventure across that wild and wonderful world, now to live without fear. Let the Foundation try and track me now. For they could spend a thousand years searching this land and be no closer to me than when they started. Or so I had hoped. But the truth was, they persisted, oh, they persisted. And they came uncomfortably close so many times. What began as an irritation for me grew into a quandary. Why? They were clearly in the Midlands, they had discovered the road, here was a world full of amazing creatures, of incredible magics, of unusual technologies, and yet, still they sought me. I was the target. Why? I obtained my answer when I took a page from my father's old textbook. I captured several of my pursuers. And then I persuaded them to give me the information I needed. And as I combed through what was left of their minds, I discovered the truth. I had underestimated the Foundation. I assumed they were merely busying themselves with the translation of fragments of the leftover knowledge of Gomorrah, but they had done so much more. They had taken that knowledge, and they had grafted it to all forms of different ritual magic. And then in turn to new types of science, arcane versions of science, genetic engineering, manipulation of the soul. They had discovered ways to take human beings and turn them into what they call devices, such as the orderlies you see here. Methods of transmigrating the soul from body to body, to build organic synthesized bodies indistinguishable from humans, but self-replicating, self-healing virtually immortal except for violent death. They had raised the art on ritual magic so high. They could now manipulate time and space, shift objects or locations through dimensions, anchor them in multiple dimensions. Oh, they had achieved such impressive things. And I'm not ashamed to say that I was more than just a little bit jealous. But it was their plan concerning me that I found the most captivating. Certainly the most interesting. The Five Points Project. Named after that poem that I began the story with. The Pentagram by Alistair Crowley. Fascinating figure, Crowley. I believe his life and his story might figure into all your interactions with the angels, but we'll leave that for some other date. And for someone more qualified to relay that tale to you. Right now... We are only concerned with the pentagram. Five points. Five phases to their plan. One. In the years of the primal course, in the dawn of terrestrial birth, man mastered the mammoth and horse, and man was the lord of the earth. The man in this poem, as far as the foundation is concerned, is themselves. Capital M. They are the true humans. All others are simply rabble to be controlled, to be commanded, the mammoth and horse, if you will. Since they discovered Gomorrah's power, they believe themselves to be the ascendant masters of the entire human race, of all the races, if they have their way. And so, there they are, the lords of the earth. Two, he made him an hollow skin from the heart of an holy tree. He compassed the earth therein, and man was the lord of the sea. The sea is the soul and the mind. And the unconscious mind, and all the things we dream of. The holy tree is the sum total of the magical knowledge they have accumulated over the centuries, and the hollow skin, that would be the grimoires, the books, the repository of this knowledge and its manipulation. They can now control dreams, they can now control space and time. They are the lords of the sea. As far as the Foundation are concerned, they have been the Lords of the Sea ever since they first merged science and magic in the early part of the 20th century. Everything they have learned since then is, as they say, gravy. But now we enter the current phase phase three. He controlled the vigor of steam, he harnessed the lightning for hire, he drove the celestial team, and man was the Lord of the Fire. This phase is the most complicated by far. There are three distinct concepts here. The celestial team is obvious. Those are the angels. To drive them, they would have to capture them and turn them into servants. Capturing them, they could already do. That they learned from Gomorrah But even then, they knew that Gamora was being manipulated. In this case, the angels would have to be the servants to the Foundation. "'To make something so powerful and so alien a servant is a difficult thing at best, "'but they would settle in this case for turning it into a directed weapon. "'That they have managed to do so far. "'The vigour of steam is the heart and the minds and the souls of the human race. "'We are, of course, speaking of earthlings here, "'not the true humans, the refugees of the terror cataclysm who live in the Midlands.' Earthlings with their predilection for xenophobia, and lashing out violently at that which they do not understand. The urge to destroy the other. The urge to graft themselves to concepts larger. To worship. For that, they would need an object of that worship. They would need to build a god, or, in this case, a goddess. Something or someone that they, upon meeting, would realize immediately that they would live or die for. That is what it means to control the vigor of steam. But even if successful, you have only an army of worshippers, the faithful. Beyond that, you would need to arm them. And for that, you would need to harness the lightning for higher. That refers to the locked potential of the earthlings, the humans who were left behind by the Terra Cataclysm. They are limited by nature. They have virtually no psychic abilities, no ability to manipulate magic, no superhuman strength. And even when these things do manage to manifest themselves in rare instances, they're fleeting. If you want to become stronger than you are, you have to work at it constantly. And as soon as you stop, it fades away. Not like Midlanders. Ah, but if you take an earthling and place them in the Midlands, let them live as Midlanders, it's only a matter of years, five, six, seven, before the limit breaks. And then the true strength of the human race blossoms. More powerful physically, mentally, spiritually, psychically. The concepts of life are now open to them, and a range of possibilities occur. Much more so than they could ever occur on Earth, but so much more difficult to control. In the mind of a limit-broken human where there was once fear and loathing and ignorance, there is now imagination and potential and an unslakeable thirst for knowledge and experience and freedom. Useless to the Foundation, of course. No, if they're to harness the lightning for hire, they need to unlock that potential on Earth in the here and now— And it turns out the easiest way to accomplish this for an earthling is to give him or her an object of worship. Thus their need for a goddess, or a queen of heaven, or a Madonna. And so to accomplish these goals within a single phase, it was Dr. Kasperzak, not her real name, mind you, any more than my real name is Malcolm, who decided to combine them all into a simple series of experiments. In order to create a goddess, they would need a being of immense power, Perhaps powerful enough to be used to direct the physical body of an angel. But for that, they would need a being who was also physically compatible with the angel, right down to the genetic structure. For that, they would need a member of the sodomite royal family. They needed me. But I proved to be far too elusive for them. So, in the interim, barring my capture... And to move the project forward, they did the next best thing. Way back in time, at the beginning of the foundation, when they discovered the vaults of Gomorrah, they also discovered the ruins of Sodom. And they combed through those ruins, looking for what they could find, and they found it. They gathered up as much as they could of the salt the citizenry of Sodom was reduced to during the conflagration. They sifted through those remains for over a hundred years until they found what they were looking for, thanks to the advent of modern biological science. And at last they managed to extract the gene sequence of the sodomite royal family. Of my family. And under the direction of Dr. Kasperzak, the Foundation began the manufacture the children that you see in the canisters around this room. They began with the simplest configuration of cells, just enough self-sustaining life to begin the spark of a soul. Then they would push it to its physical limit, collect the data, and move on to the next generation. But they never allowed the previous subject to die They linked their life forces tenuously and left each one isolated in a hell of terror and pain. Each one instinctively crying out for something or someone to come and save them. Then they projected that voice, that cry for help, out into the void in the hopes that they would raise a chorus that would one day attract an angel. And after 144 generations... With Helen, they succeeded. Helen is Kasparzak's crowning achievement. And from there, the Foundation pulled off a most impressive feat. They set up shop here in St. Rita's in the Pacific Northwest of the United States. It was chosen specifically because the corporation that built St. Rita's was infused with the Ave Nova Corporation, the Cult of the Destroying Star, Angelic power flows through the conceptual space of this building. Then, using powerful ritual magic, they projected it into a place they hoped it would never be discovered. The off-road of the Midlands. Then, using those two physical points as a power anchor, they built a third version of the hospital. The test area that they placed in the void. A shadow version of the hospital. Things could go in and out of it, and things could be monitored there. Then... They used their abilities to place the angel into a dreaming state and forced it to exist in all three places at the same time. Inert. Waiting. Then they did the same to Helen, dividing her up over three locations. Her true form, that you see here, such as it is. And then a synthetic form, a false version existing in the physical hospital in St. Reader's, one that Dr. Aziz was allowed to interact with. A frail, frightened child who could barely move and was in constant pain. This would give her grounding in reality. Would allow her emotional and her psychic development to be more natural. And then finally, a shadow version. A physical manifestation of her soul that exists only in the test area. There she's stronger. There she can run and jump and manipulate things to a limited degree and her consciousness was allowed to be projected into that so she could be, well, tested. That was the version that you and Mr. Harriman met, Sir Phillips. And if it's any consolation, there was no way of rescuing her. To remove her from the test area would have been instant death for her mind. That form of hers could never leave the void space without the support of immense power, and that power was always intended to be provided by the captive angel when it awoke, when it claimed her as its vessel. And now they are combined, and now both can take a single physical form. Her usefulness to the Foundation is over. They now know that they can create a being who projects a mind wave that causes Earthlings to worship it uncontrollably. And from there, the Foundation can manipulate and control the souls of the worshippers, turning them into creatures like the Orderlies. And now, the immense power required for that feat has been turned over to the angel. It can take physical form, and they're going to unleash it on an entire city in the United States. That way they can measure its destructive capabilities. Yes, all of those lives lost will be considered mere data to them. For that is the sort of people you are dealing with when you deal with the Foundation. And I wish I could say I did not know that mindset well enough, but I'm afraid I do. Ultimately, we were cut from the same cloth. And I perceive that we are moments away from our return. So that is where my story will end. With us in our current state. All five of us. Unable to save the life of one girl, and yet all that stands between a rampaging angel and the death of thousands. About to set foot once again in St. Rita's Hospital. Appropriate, really. Saint Rita. Patron saint of lost causes. You have been listening to The Account, A Tale of the Waking World, The Lightning for Hire, Part 18. Written and performed by Cayenne Chris Conroy as part of the Technical Difficulties podcast series. To contact me, it's techdiff at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter on twitter.com slash techdiff, and look for Technical Difficulties at Facebook. To be continued next time on The Account, A Tale of the Waking World. And if you think that was long, you should really have heard the stuff I actually ended up cutting out of it, uh, because it just went on and on. There was so much more information I needed to convey there, and I'm going to have to pick this up next week when I start next week's episode, just to make sure I've gone over everything that I missed. Hi everybody, Kyan here. And uh, yeah, that was it. That was the, uh, I guess the novella that suddenly cropped up in the middle of... um, uh, well, towards the end of this episode of The Account. And uh, I really apologize for last week's show. I really was not happy with the performance that I gave, in case you're wondering. I, I really feel like I needed to nail this and get it right. And I can still see a couple of flaws, and there's a few things I wish I could have left in, but really this was just going on too long, and it was all sort of extraneous information that wasn't really crucial or didn't need to be conveyed right there. But that's... Uh that was really good. It was good for me because it was sort of a dry run at kind of um, doing a uh, writing a uh, an audiobook on the fly. And even then, it was something that I had to go back and do twice because the first draft, as it were, just did not live up to snuff. First draft was a little bit shorter than this and um, just lacking something in the performance. And it's hard to put my finger on it. But I needed to get it absolutely right. And I think I got much closer to that on this. So thank you for your patience, both in the wait And your patience for listening to this, because it's really, really long, and um, (laughs) I wasn't planning on it being 45 minutes, but just as it went, it just expanded into a monster. What can I tell you? Um, Anyway, uh, I got nothing else to to report other than that, and oh, I do have something to report. Did I, wait, did I say that last week? Um, I've been diagnosed with uh, psoriatic arthritis, which is going to be a lifelong problem for me. I have uh, swollen joints and um, boy, arthritis it's only at 44. Well, I've had it since I've been about 42 or in my early 40s, but now I've got it now I've got to take care of myself. So um, that's it, really. Uh, nothing else to report on beyond that and the strange health issue, which should have no impact on my show whatsoever other than twiddling knobs. And I'm tired and I'm going to go recharge my batteries and I'll probably have a brand new episode for the of the account for you next week because... Well, I've got nothing to stop me. No reason not to do one. So um, talk to you uh, again next time. And uh, like that. All right, take care. Bye.